Oh, Father, it is another day's journey, and Lord, we are glad about it. Grateful you have us in the land of the living and not the land of the dead, because that means you have work for us to do. God, we've reached this moment where your word is to be open and served to your people on a hot plate. And my prayer, Father, is that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable in your sight. Lord, it's time to go to work. And I pray, God, that you would fill me with your spirit. Dose upon me, Father, just the unction of your grace. Let me see your mercy so that the words do not come from me. They just come out of me. Let your men be filled and edified today. Let your name be glorified today. Let the devil be horrified today. So have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquities and cleanse me of my sins. But create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence and don't take your spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And I'll be so careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. Let me tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Brothers, could you clap your hands as fast as you can? Would you shout amen? Amen. Well, brothers, good morning, I think. Yeah, good morning. Good morning to each of you guys, man. It's, it's good to, to hang out with you guys again in chapel. Um, it's also good to know that, that some brothers are still sitting at the dock of the bay as they're still fishing. And maybe, maybe they catch something that's good. Maybe we can get some fried catfish or something before I leave tonight or tomorrow. That'd be kind of cool. Um, but allow me just to open up uh, today by telling you um, just an honest truth that I told the band and I told Jason. Um, today, I, I wasn't here. I was physically here, but I wasn't here um, emotionally or mentally. My daughter is running a race that she just finished down at Buchanan High School. And she's running the four by four. She's the first leg of the four by four. As a father, I fought and fought and fought with if I was doing the right thing, of being up here when my daughter was down there. I don't know if any of you fathers, it hurts, right? Right? You're, and our wives sometimes don't understand it. And they say little small stuff that just make you feel even worse. You know what I mean? Like, well, I got her. Why don't you just come on down and say hi? Like, I'm just going to run down the stairs real quick and hug my kid, right? <laughs> my wife is just doing an absolutely amazing job coaching and motivating my daughter. But, Brother Wiley, it's not the same, right? And this man right here, Deacon Wiley, and my dad, Brother Casey, and Eric, Deacon Eric, they've been there the whole step of the way of pastoring for me for 10 years. And the one thing that this man has instilled is that the importance of family, never understanding or knowing that time flies by so quickly, right? And so I, I wanted to publicly thank Jason and Hume for allowing me to FaceTime my daughter right before this race started and even FaceTiming the whole team because two of her her teammates said they're not running unless Pastor Kreiner's there. 
And in the middle of the prayer, and if you know me, um, I'm a motivator. I, I never sit in the stands. I find my way on the fields. I, I don't care what they say. I'm bigger than like everybody out in Fresno anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, they, our, our deacons and my dad will tell you, like I'm never in the stands. Like I'm always on the field or stretching them out. And, and they walk up to me, they were like, sir. And I'll look up at them and they'll say, keep doing what you do. <laughs> so I, I prayed with them this morning and I, maybe this prayer that I prayed with them, maybe as a father, as you get back home and you're not able to be at everything of your son or your daughters, maybe to help God just letting me to say to them, Lord, I know I'm not physically there, but you are. And then I stopped in the middle of the prayer and I said, maybe that's what you want, for them to stop depending on me and start depending on you. And maybe that's what God is teaching us today as we look at this word is that in the midst of storms, to depend on him. If you can, go with me to the gospel according to Mark, just for a brief moment. And today we'll look at a very familiar passage and see if we can just do a little dissection, a little ER, Grey's Anatomy work on it, open this bad boy up and kind of act like Doogie Howser today, find the nuances of it and keep moving. And what I've decided to do today is wear my daughter's first place medal as a sign to my baby that she's with me today. And as a father, sometimes you may not be able to be there physically, but make sure that they have something to take with them physically that reminds them of you. And do the same. You're not a punk if you cry in front of your kid. You're actually a strong man to show them what it means to tear up. Mark chapter 5, for the sake of study, I want to consider verse number 35. Tell me when you're there, please. You there? All right, let's go to work. Uh, It says, on that day when evening had come, he told them, let us cross over to the other side. Somebody say the other side. So they left the crowd and took with him and took him along since he was already in the boat. (laughs) The other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped and he was in the stern sleeping with his head on a cushion. So they awoke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? And he got up. He rebuked rebuked the wind and said to the waves, peace be still. And the wind ceased immediately. And there was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And ask one another, who is this dude that even the wind and the waves obey him? (laughs) Oh, I'm chapter four. I'm so sorry. I told y'all I'm not like there, there, there. I apologize. Go to four. I'm sorry. Verse chapter four, verse 35. I'm sorry. I'm going to read it again. I was one. I really thought I was like that good because y'all was just like this. And I'm like, man, Lord, you really gave me a deeper anointing today. Like, I know y'all was like, what is this dude saying? Like, all right, you get there? Can I do it again? All right. Face. And that day, is that what yours says? All right, one more time. On that day, is that it? Better, better. All right. On that day, when evening had come, 
He told them, let us cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was already in the boat. And the other boats were with him. Is that what yours says? I'm good? All right. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. And when, but he was in the stern sleeping with his head on a cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the sea or to the waves, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and said to one another, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? My fascination is with the whole text, specifically dealing with, watch this verse number, verse number 37, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over. Meaning the rain and the waves were breaking over to the boat and they were terrified. Just for a brief moment on this, right before we head to lunch and your boy gets to eat, I want to talk and teach from this idea. Do me a favor, look at somebody and say, brother, some of y'all still looking at me, look at somebody. I can see you looking at me. I just said, look at somebody else and you looking at me. Say, brother, can you stand the rain? You can be seated. You can be seated. That's a new edition song from the 80s, if you know anything about new edition. It's Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, and Mike. It's a long time ago, long time ago, long time ago. Dude, I am absolutely fascinated with this Bible. Mark fascinates me because that's the shortest gospel in this canon that we call the Bible. These five books, these amazing books of the Old Testament that lets us and pushes us to the New Testament. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four gospels that are listed in this Bible, these 66 books. It's Mark that writes the shortest gospel on purpose because Mark, who many individuals would suggest is the second to the last writer, right before John decides to write his gospel from a perspective of his love for Jesus, Mark decides to write and he writes, literally highlighting, in his opinion, some of the most important events that Jesus would encounter, that man would actually see. By the time we get here, Jesus is absolutely famous. I mean, dude is all over TikTok and Instagram. I mean, he has so many friends on Facebook that he's capped out with the 5,000, and he's now become a public figure. He's so famous that you have folks that are trying to copy his trends that are all over TikTok. Many of them are not able to accomplish it because Jesus is the only one that can tick the talk. He's the only individual that can allow your face to be in the book. Y'all missed it. That's how powerful Jesus is. But he does something interesting here because right at the conclusion of, in our personal opinion, one of the greatest parables that he suggests and teaches about sowing of the seed the Bible says that he is standing here, hanging out in the evening, and he says, let's go to the other side. That's something that I don't want you to forget, that I don't want you to disregard as we walk through this amazing pericope, because Jesus tells them, let's go to the other side. Understand this. He does this intentionally. He says, let's leave the crowd and go to the other side. Why is that important? It's important because understand this, that not everybody that is 
with Jesus is following Jesus. Please understand, a lot of people are there because they want to touch the hem of his garment so that they can be healed but not made whole. They want their eyes to see, but they still won't be able to see Jesus. <laughs> Y'all missed that, huh? They want to be healed and walk, but they don't want to walk with him. They want to be healed from being deaf, but they still won't be able to hear Jesus Christ. Please understand this. It's interesting, right, that there are two blind men that follow Jesus. But how is it possible that blind men follow him, but people that can see can't even see him? It's interesting, ain't it? That Jesus does so many miracles that at the conclusion of John, the Gospel of John, John says he did many more than these that couldn't even be contained in this book. But at the end of his life, only one disciple is standing at the cross. And the other 11, one commits suicide and the other 10 are hiding out in the room. And even when Jesus does come back, one of them says, I have to touch his hands, touch the hole in his side and see the actual imprint in his feet. Please understand this. A lot of people can be hanging out with Jesus, but never actually know who he is. And really, my brothers and sisters, my brothers, no sisters in here, my brothers understand this, that at this particular time, Jesus says, I need to take people that know me, not people that are just around me. In order for me to go to the other side to do ministry, in order for me to actually take the ministry to another level, and in order for you to understand that your biggest and your greatest blessings sometimes come through your greatest disappointments, understand Jesus will eliminate people that are only hanging out but don't want to hang with you. And that's the text. It says, let's leave the folks that are just here to receive a miracle. And let's go with people that know I am the miracle. Let's get away from people that are just hearing the word. And let's get with people that know I am the word. Y'all will catch that in a minute. Jesus leaves. But look, in the text, it's right there. It says, when he leaves, other boats came. When he leaves the crowd, other boats followed the boat that Jesus was on. What boat? It's the boat we talked about last night. Whenever the gospel, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, always say Jesus got in the boat, there is one boat that Jesus called his headquarters, his bat cave, his hangout place, his justice place. There is one boat that he would hang out with, and that's the boat of Peter, that rusty boat, that raggedy boat that boat that was about 27 feet long, that boat that was about three feet high, that boat that was about 7.5 feet wide, that small rusted boat is what Jesus made the decision to hang out with. Interesting enough that Jesus is born in a rusty, ragged place. He does ministry in a rusty, ragged boat, and he dies on a rusty, ragged cross. Why? Because his mission is to save rusty, ragged men. Y'all catch that again. Can I say it again? Because that felt good. He was born in a rusty, ragged place. He did his ministry on a rusty, ragged boat. He died on a rusty, ragged cross to save rusty, ragged men. 
And isn't it amazing that whenever Jesus touches a rusty, ragged place, that place becomes a place that you want to visit and return back to. It is because Jesus was born in a lonely manger that we celebrate the manger because Jesus was in it. It's because Jesus did ministry on a rusty, ragged boat that made men and women come and hang out at that boat. It's because Jesus went to a rugged, rusty cross that we celebrate the vacancy of the cross. And here at Hume Lake on the day after Taco Friday, we are hanging out with some ex-rugged, rusty, ragged men who have been saved, sanctified, delivered, and are not who they used to be. Oh, I love it. I love men that can say, I'm not who I used to be. Matter of fact, talk back to me, brother. Look at somebody and say, I ain't who I used to be. I don't want you to be proper today. I don't want you to say, I am not. I want you to say, ain't. Tell them, I ain't who I used to be. Tell them, I used to be a mess. I used to be a drug user. I used to be addicted to pornography. I used to, but the Lord saw who I used to be and knew who I needed to be. I'm not who I used to be. That's the text. He gets on Peter's rusted, ragged boat. And other people who have boats follow. Wait, that's kind of clean. That's kind of tight to me. Because Jesus leaves people that show up where he is to hang out with people that goes where he's going. Y'all missed it. I'm going to say it again, man. Holler at me if you hear me, bro. He leaves people that only come to where he is to hang out with people that will go where he's going. You missed it. The Bible says other boats came with him, which means, Brother Casey, that there are people that says, wait, Jesus got a boat. Maybe I should get a boat too. They're not following Peter's boat. They're following the boat that Jesus is on. Can I tell you something? Y'all came in this chapel. Y'all came here and left the, left the water. You didn't leave the water because Jason told you to come here. You left the water because Jesus is in this chapel. Because you could have stayed on the water and you could have kept fishing. But somebody told you that the Lord Jesus Christ had moved from the water and walked in the chapel. And the reason why you're in the chapel ain't got nothing to do with this six foot two, 105 pound black man. You came in this chapel because there's a man named Jesus that walked the dusty streets of Palestine, hung on a cross after walking down a Villa Della Rosa, that went to a tomb, got up with all power in his hands, ascended to glory, told you he's coming back, and Jesus made the decision to bypass Fresno, go up to Hume, stop in this chapel. That's the reason why you're in the chapel. That's the reason why you're in the chapel. The Bible says, he says, let's go to the other side. But understand this. Understand this. That just because Jesus gives you the destination doesn't mean that he will always give you the itinerary. The destination is clear. You're going to make it to the other side. But we don't really trip off the destination. We trip off the itinerary. Deacon Eric, can you stand up for a second, please? This Deacon Eric, 
Costco, one of the coldest deacons at our church. Cold dude. Got a very white voice. It's too deep. Told Dick, we're coming up to the mountain. Told Dick, we're going to Lake, excuse me, Hume Lake, sorry. Dick was excited because he could bring his fishing pole to Hume Lake. By the time we got to Hume Lake, though, Dick Wiley told me something. He said, Eric's mad at you because you didn't tell him that you had to go up a mountain off the side of the road and see what we call beautiful. He felt terrified <laughs> just to get up there. He said, you told me about Hume Lake. You didn't tell me what I had to go through in order to get to Hume Lake. Wait, that's a shout, Eric, because watch this. If I would have told you what you had to go through to get here, you wouldn't have came. Y'all missed it. I'm a preach, man. Y'all feel like preaching. Watch this, Eric. If I would have told you what you had to go through, knowing that you were afraid of heights, you wouldn't have got here. So I had to just tell you what the destination was. Because understand this, Eric, it wasn't you that was driving. You had an expert driver that was driving that knew how to get here and promised that he would get you here. Brothers, can I tell you something? The God that we serve never tells you that you're going to go through a storm. He just tells you you're going to get through it. Because if he told you that the storm would hit you, you might not have gotten the boat. But can I tell you something? The promises of Jesus is so amazing that he doesn't have to tell you what you're going to have to go through. He just tells you you're going to get to the other side. I need some brothers in here to stand on their feet as bold as they can and say, he never told me it would be easy, but he brought me too far to leave me. God made a promise you would get here and you made it. You made it. Oh, sit down, brothers. You make me nervous. Sit down. I'm almost done. What'd you say? Don't say it again. You got kids that say don't, don't keep preaching. That's scary. Well, well we got to bring all these brothers back to St. Rest, man. The brothers don't want me to stop preaching. That's something. He says this. He says, the destination is more important than the itinerary. The itinerary is simply what you're going to have to go through. But the destination is where you're going to get to. You got to go through the storm in order to get to the other side. Because when you get to the other side, you're going to run into a man that's at the tomb of Gadarenes, this man that nobody wants to get to. So I wonder if it's the storm that's trying to kill you or if the storm is trying to stop you from getting to the man. I just preached and y'all didn't say nothing. I wonder if it's really, thank you, Holy Spirit, that was a good one. I wonder if it's really the storm that really just don't like you or it's the storm afraid of you. It's the storm terrified of what you're going to be when you become an adult. So I wonder if God, if the enemy puts little storms in your life to cause you to quit and turn back. Because if you make it to the other side, there'll be friends at your school that will see the Jesus in you. See, watch this, little bro. The devil can't kill you, but he'll put stuff in the way for you to kill yourself. As long as Jesus, though, is on the boat with you, can you repeat something with me? Stand up real quick, little bro. I need you to say this so loud that the brothers in the back can hear you. No weapon. Say it. No weapon. No weapon. That's not loud enough. No weapon. No weapon. That's formed against me. That's formed against me. That's formed against me. Will prosper. As a matter of fact, just say it like this. Devil, you can't touch me. Matter of fact, say it like the prophet MC Hammer. You can't touch this. Now turn to everybody else say, you can't touch this. Brothers... 
No matter what the devil has put in your life, it can't touch you, it can't kill you, because God said you're going to make it to the other side. Now watch, let's, let's, let's dig in it real quick. He said, let's go to the other side. The storm arises. The storm arises, and it terrifies the fishermen. But wait, let's look at it real quick. The location of the storm is at the lowest part around Jerusalem, 700 feet below sea level. 700 feet below sea level. Hmm. The fishermen have been on this. They've been here before. So why are they afraid? What's different about every other time that they've come on this Sea of Galilee? You want to know what the biggest difference was? Is Jesus was on the boat. Can I tell you something real quick? Don't think that just because Jesus is on your boat, storms will stop. Oh, I feel good now. I do. I feel good now. I really do. I feel good. Matter of fact, can I just be honest with you? The enemy's going to try even harder because Jesus is on your boat. Watch this. Can I tell you something? Remember yesterday, you didn't pick Jesus. He picked you. Wait, here's old, old Baptist theology. Old Baptist theology teaches this, that th- thank God I found the Lord. You didn't find the Lord because the Lord wasn't lost. So stop telling people I found the Lord. You didn't find him. He wasn't lost. You was lost. He found you. And in spite of everybody else he could have found, he decided to pick you and get on your boat. Watch this. The enemy knew that he would pick your boat. So the enemy, watch this, it's not trying to destroy you, he's trying to destroy your boat. Can I preach to y'all real quick? Look at this text. The text doesn't say that the storm was trying to destroy them. The text says the storm was, just trying, to, was trying to destroy the boat. The storm is trying to destroy your gift because your gift is your boat. It is your gift that Jesus rides on in order to take you to the other side. So whenever the enemy can silence your voice, silence you playing the guitar, silence you playing the drums, keep you from teaching, it's when the storm arises that causes you to think, I'm overwhelmed, I'm depressed, I have anxiety. But can I tell you something, brothers? Even in the midst of depression, Jesus has not gotten off the boat. In the Greek, the Bible says that this particular storm is a big windstorm. That word big in the Greek is where we get the word mega. That word windstorm in the Greek is the word temptus, meaning that it's not really a storm. It's a temptation. Sooky, sooky now. Meaning that your storm is not going to kill you. It's just trying to tempt you. And it tempts you with something that you like or you're used to. It just looks so big that you can't handle it. The storm was a normal storm. It just looked bigger than normal because the waves were not 10 feet. It was about 30 feet. But it was still a normal storm. It had to be something they could get through because Jesus was asleep. Wait, dude, I thought, I thought I would get y'all. Dude, Jesus is asleep. But wait, you missed it. 
Because the Bible then tells us the location of where he was resting and chilling. He was on the bottom of the boat with his head on a cushion. Oh, the reason why you ain't said nothing, because you ain't never been to Sunday school, BTU, or vacation Bible school. So I'm going to bring you into my class and teach you real quick before you scream, holler like Marvin Gaye, and throw up both your hands. He sleep on the bottom of the boat. The wind of the waves, the water is breaking into the boat. Whenever water breaks into, they go down to the lowest part of the boat. Jesus was asleep and was handling the most difficult part of their storm. He was asleep and the water was around him. They was tripping, but the water was coming to Jesus. You missed it. Jesus is attracting all of the danger to him, and they tripping. Jesus is in the middle of the storm, and they're tripping. Oh, you still missed it. Okay. Jesus has his head on the pillow. Understand this. I'm really rocking because I'm trying not to shout and act black. I'm really trying to keep my cool because Jesus has his head on the pillow. Do you know what the pillow is made for? The pillow is made for the captain of the ship. Jesus is sleeping on the captain's pillow, which means if Jesus is sleeping on the captain's pillow, then Jesus must be the captain of the ship. Y'all still missed it. Okay. You missed it because many of you may not understand the captain of the ship because you ain't never been on a ship. But I guarantee you, you've been on an airplane. The airplane has three different positions. It's the passenger, the stewardess, and the pilot. The captain, excuse me, the pilot, the stewardess, and the passenger. The passengers have to stay seated. The stewardess walk through to make sure you're comfortable. The pilot is in front of the plane. The pilot can see what's in front of him. You can only see what's around you. The beauty and the difference between you and the passenger, excuse me, you and the pilot, is if what's around you is too much for you, you can put your hand up and close the shutter so you don't have to see what's around you. But the pilot can never close the shutter on what's in front of him because the pilot has to see what you have to go through in order to get you to your destination. The pilot sometimes will tell you on the call, please get back to your seat and put your seatbelt on and put your seat in the upright position because we're about to go through some turbulence. Matter of fact, a couple of months ago, the pilot came on and the captain said, everybody put your seats in the upright position, put your seatbelts on and don't move. We're about to go through some turbulence. I did exactly what the pilot said. The lady next to me looked at me and said, are you a preacher? I said, yes. She said, how do you, I said, how do you know? She said, because you're reading your Bible and there's a name tag that says Pastor Kreiner. She said, <laughs> 
She said, would you pray for me? I said, boo, I would love to pray for you, but I really don't have to pray that we're going to make it. She said, why? I said, because the pilot has just told us that we're going to get through the turbulence. We just have to remain seated with our seats in the upright position. She said, why aren't you worried then? I said, because the pilot sounds calm and the pilot can see what we're going through. The only way I know we're going through it is because the pilot is telling me that we're going through it. But I'm happy because we're going through it. We're not stuck in it. Y'all don't hear me. Can I... Can I tell you something, brothers? And on this one, I want you to scream and holler. Brothers, the pilot has just told me, the co-pilot today, that whatever you are going through, you should be encouraged that you're going through it and you're not stuck in it. The storm is not going to kill you. The storm is just a part of the itinerary. You're going to land safely. You just got to go through it. So, the Bible says that they ran to Jesus and they said, teacher, don't you care that we die? (laughs) Just a minute ago, he was master. Just a minute ago, he was Lord. But when men get nervous, we stop calling our wives baby and we start calling them Jessica. Jessica. Jesus is asleep. He wakes up and he says, peace be still. Here's the exegesis of the text that messed me up. Because when I was a kid, got five minutes, they told me that Jesus got up, went to the top of the deck, rebuked the sea with his hands up, and the sea obeyed. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says that he got up from where he was asleep and said, peace be still. Meaning, he sleep. They wake him up. He gets up. Peace be still. <laughs> Y'all missed it. Jesus is sleep. They wake him up. He gets up, stretches, peace be still. And goes back to sleep. Y'all still missed it. Let me break it down. The original translation of the text is possibly more better than what we read it today. Because we read it from the English vernacular, the English translation, where we have peace with an exclamation mark, be still. The original translation has peace with a comma, be still. Now break it down. What Jesus is doing is he's telling peace to be still. He's literally telling the disciples, you're already dealing with peace. You're so chaotic that you can't see that peace is already around you. So I'm telling you, I'm telling peace that's around you to be still so you can see it. Watch. Peace does not mean everything's okay. Peace means you're okay while everything is not. 
Everybody thinks that when he said, peace be still, the wind and the waves stopped. That's not scripture. The wind and the waves stopped when he rebuked it. Then he said, peace be still. He rebukes the wind and speaks to the waves. This right here is big and I'm going to sit down. Well, I'm already sitting. I'm going to sit over there. He rebukes the wind, speaks to the waves. He rebukes the wind, speaks to the waves. He doesn't rebuke the waves. He rebukes the wind. He rebukes the, wa- the wind because the wind is making the waves act chaotic. The waves are not the problem. You know why, right? Because in a couple of months, he about to walk on them bad boys. He rebukes what's around them. He rebukes what they can't see so he can speak to what they can see. My God is so bomb.com that there are things around you that is making the things you can see look like it's trying to kill you. What Jesus does is he does not, he does not physically talk to the stuff that you can see until he rebukes the stuff you can't see. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. Can I tell you something? Come in my room real quick. Let me shut the door, give you a quick lesson. Let me put a little bit of more hot sauce in the gumbo so it can taste a little bit better than it do right now. That woman ain't the problem. It's the demonic spirit that's around the woman that's the problem. Pornography ain't the problem. It's your addiction to the demonic spirit of pornography that's the problem. It's the reason why Jesus does not die as a witch. He dies for witchcraft. He does not die as a devil. He dies as as demonic possession. He does not die as a sinner. He dies for sin. He does not die for the image or he does not die for the object. He dies for what the object is obeying so that he can destroy the spiritual wickedness that's in high places that is causing what you see to act the way it does. Oh, you still need help? Understand this. It was the demonic possession that you were connected to that caused you to act in sin. But when Jesus rebuked the demonic possession that you were dealing with, he allowed you to be the person that you are right now. That's why you don't drink. That's why you don't smoke. That's why you don't go out. It's not because you can't. It's because he rebuked the spirit you could not see to speak to the man that you can see. After he rebukes the spirit, the demon that is surrounding the Sea of Galilee, then he tells the waves, shut up. That's what peace be still says. Shut up. While at the same time telling peace, Be still so they can see you. He says it because, dude, I'm on the boat. Peace has been around you the entire time. You just couldn't see it because I was busy moving to keep you comforted. But if I'm asleep, so should you. Here's the reason why. The reason why is because I already promised you that you would get to the other side. And I'm not a God that I would lie. If I told you you're going to make it, 
you're going to make it. I'm going to end with this. Today, I watched my daughter run. My daughter had to run around the entire track once and hand the baton to the second leg. My daughter started running in the ninth lane. It's the farthest lane, the hardest lane. My baby started running, and as she's running, she starts off slower than I expect her to start off. And me and my dad are yelling at the iPad screen as if she can hear us. <laughs> By the time my daughter got to the final turn, she kicked it into high gear. And she went from seventh place to first place. Somewhere at the, probably about the eighth meter, my daughter crossed lanes and went from ninth to first. And then crossed back across the lanes and went back into her original lane. Immediately, I thought that my daughter had messed up because if you know anything about track, you stay in your lane for the first leg. My daughter had the baton. I saw her on the field crying, snotting, crying on the field. So I told our assistant, Marcy, I need you to run down to the field and let me talk to my daughter the moment that the race is over with. My father went up and grabbed his Bible to come down here. Well, Marcy gave her the phone. She's crying and snotting. While she's snotting and crying, I get a text message from the coach. The coach texts me because the coach had talked to the official of the race. The official of the race, I guess, knows me from somewhere in Fresno. The official of the race told the coach to text Pastor Kreiner to tell Pastor Kreiner something to tell his daughter. My daughter was crying because she thought that she had got her team disqualified. The official, because of the relationship that he has with me, told me to let my daughter know something. That even though she hopped out of her lane, because she didn't stop running, and because she didn't interfere with any of the other racers, she was not disqualified. Because she didn't interfere, and because she finished the race, she was not disqualified. In the midst of her disappointment, because of the relationship that I had with the official, I was able to give a message to my daughter that even though she felt like she got out of her lane, because she got back in, and because she finished the race, she had not disqualified herself. Well, can I just paint it? I'm going to sit down, I promise. The official is God. Daddy is Jesus. The iPad is the Holy Spirit. And God just told me to tell you something today. Even though you've gotten out of your lane in life, and even though the storm caused you to get out of position, don't stop running. Get back in your lane and finish the race. Because he promised no matter what the storm looks like, you'll make it to the other side.